0: morning. I'm reading this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, and I'm reading verses 1 to 12. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than any one in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done?
1: Thanks, Simone. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I want to share with you, before we get started on today's talk, uh, Ian shared last week that we've been able to appoint uh, both CJ Smith and Logan Braley as interns for the next two years, commencing at the end of this month. I want to share with you this morning that Daniel Thompson will be the third of our Interns starting at the end of this uh, this month and Daniel will be working with us over the next two years in training and equipping in ministry as well. So to everyone who is able to either pray or financially support uh, the intern program for the next years, thank you very much. It's been a great uh, journey thus far to talk with these guys and be able to appoint them to these roles and would you continue to pray for them that God will continue to form them as disciple making disciples uh, in their time. Uh, through the internship. Now, Ecclesiastes, before we get there, we are in a series, we're in a series as Langdon shared earlier, called Mastering the Art of Life. Well, that's not an intimidating topic as a preacher, he said sarcastically. This morning's particular topic on that is life in fast forward. As I had a look at this, but maybe not the first time in my life, I thought, what is Barnett thinking? Why has he picked me to talk about mastering the art of life, and particular life in fast forward? Because I'm presuming, from what he's told me, that this is about how we cope with living life in fast forward rather than trying to live life in fast forward. I'm one of those people who, in my mind, from time to time, I imagine a big, red, industrial-sized emergency stop button. And I imagine, I just wish there could be an emergency stop button sometime and I could just go bang and stop the world. I don't know if I'm the only one here, I suspect I'm not. But just every now and then I feel like the world's going too fast for me. Maybe my own fault. See, I'm not good at this. I am not at all good at this. I am a self-confessed wind chaser, I'd have to say. I'll give you an example. Last year, some of you know, it was a good year for me as a cyclist. I went to the state championships and I won. And as I walked out of Dunk Velodrome at Sydney, I thought, well, if I refine this and I adjust that and I train harder there and I dial in a few things, I should go to the nationals. A few months later, I walked out of Annemir's Velodrome in Brisbane, a national champion, and I thought, if I tune this, I adjust this and some other things, maybe I should go to the world championships. It occurred to me that maybe something in my wiring wasn't quite right as I walked out of Manchester Velodrome with my coach and I said, you know, we really got to get onto this, this and this and if we tune this and adjust that then we can... I went, wait, there's no Galaxy Championships, we're done here. Um, I came up with other ways to chase more. It's just how I'm wired to a fault. I'm a goal-oriented person to a fault. You normally say that in your resume is a good thing. It's as equal parts of good and bad with me. When I don't have a goal to pursue, I'm the kind of person who wakes up in the morning and goes, what's even the point of life? I don't want to get up. I don't want to live. I don't want anything. Because if there's not something to try and acquire, achieve or enjoy, who cares? And so I kind of went, why would I be the guy who shares with anyone on this? I had to confess to you, I'm not a picture of the guy who's got it together and who has this life he always sees as meaningful and, understand, and understands it and gets it. Uh, I have seasons where I do what Winston Churchill once described as being visited by the black dog. Where I have seasons of depression and uh, I just, I don't even care, man. And I'm like, what's going on? And the world doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And even my goals seem to be not that interesting. And so I thought, why me? Why would do... I, Ecclesiastes is not even really my jam. I'm, it's just not my favourite part of the Bible. But then as I thought about this a little bit more, I thought, you know, maybe God's wired me in a particular way that I might have a nibble at this and be able to share something that's hopefully helpful under God for us all. So let me have a go at this. You know, We've talked a few times uh, both here and you hear this if you hang around church and sermons long enough about confusing the symptoms for the disease, the symptoms for the condition. I'll give you an example. When one of our children was born, uh, they were cute and all that sort of stuff, as cute as babies get, and we looked at the child and there's kind of a, a tinge of yellow. And some of you know what that means already. Uh, the, the child looked kind of yellowish and sure enough they said, we think there's some jaundice here. Now, if we were to just treat the, the, the symptom, we could have just ripped out Rachel's makeup bag. We sort that sucker out real quick. It wouldn't be yellow anymore. But of course that would have ignored that the yellow in colour was only a symptom of a condition that lurked further down deeper and required lights and a billy bed and all that sort of stuff to to sort things out. Sometimes we confuse symptoms and conditions and in the same way sometimes we confuse relief and remedy. There are things that will bring relief. Panadol or something like that will bring relief but it won't necessarily fix the underlying problem. And so there's relief and there's remedy. And as I go looking through this first part of Ecclesiastes, this teacher, who is most likely Solomon, I mean Solomon, the son of David, is the only guy who seems to be able to have explored and amassed and be able to fit the resume that is Ecclesiastes. As I look at this, it seems that some of the meaninglessness comes from the pursuit of relief as if it can bring remedy. The pursuit of relief as if it could bring remedy. As I look at chapter 2, I see two main things. This is all I'm going to do with chapter 2, really. There is, in verses 1 to 3, the pursuit of pleasure, and in verses 4 to 12, the pursuit of project or achievement. There's pleasure and there's project. And it resonates with me profoundly. As I said, I have seasons sometimes where a black dog comes to visit. And so some years ago, I spent some time with a psychologist to talk these things through. And one of the things that uh, the psychologist set me a task is, okay, this week what I want you to do, you're going to have a little journal. And each day you're going to set yourself a pleasure goal. And you're going to set yourself an achievement goal. Pleasure and project. Goal-oriented guy, I said, that sounds good. It was like almost instant relief. And so I went away, and the first day, I was in a particularly unfit period of my life, both physically and, I guess, emotionally. And so my goal for that day was a 10-kilometre bike ride. Got on my bike, did my 10 kilometres, etc., etc. Anyway, I went back to see the psychologist the next week or whatever. How'd it go, Shane? Absolutely terrible. I threw the whole thing out after two days. Why? Oh, I hated it. She said, why'd you hate it? I said, well, I went on that, I said a 10-kilometre bike ride, I went on this ride, and how did you feel after that? I felt like taking a hacksaw to my bicycle. Why? Because I was disgusted with myself. 10 kilometres is nothing. And not only is it nothing, you should have seen how slowly I did it. It was pathetic. And she said, okay, well, what would have made it better? 20? I said, that would have been better. 30? That would have been at least respectable. She said, okay, if you did 30, then next time, what would it have to be, 40? And then 50? And then she got a little bit sassy with me and said, a billion? And I realised, much like states, national worlds, there's no galaxy. This thing can't go on forever and ever. What had been prescribed for me, I suspect, was an opportunity to bring some relief to enjoy something in the day, to achieve something in the day and to have an escape from some of the melancholy feelings I had. But what was actually going to improve my condition was some further reflection, some rewiring of how I thought and things like that to actually uh, come to a place beyond relief and to remedy. I think this is what's going on in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon explores projects, he explores pleasure and he does it I've got to tell you, every talk I've listened to on Ecclesiastes 2 bores me to tears as I hear just how incredibly wonderful Solomon Can we just take it as read as he's smarter than you, he's had more girlfriends than you, uh, he's done more than you. okay? In projects and in pleasure, he's gone further. Uh, he's more educated. The whole thing, I'm not going to spend an hour telling you how great Solomon is. He's great, alright? He's done it further than you. There, there's my exegesis of Ecclesiastes 2. Solomon does all this stuff and in the end he says, you know what, when I finished up, verse 11, I went, <laughs> put it all my hands are done and I had a wind collection. Do you know anyone with a wind collection? We know people who are full of wind, but no one really seems to have a wind collection. It's not something you can collect. You chase after the wind and it <laughs> disappears. And I think that's the idea of this meaningless idea. It <laughs> disappears. It would be difficult to ride through the whole of Scripture and say pleasure is a bad thing. Pleasure seems to be a wonderful thing that God's given us. Achievement, to go through the Bible and say achievement's a bad thing. No, achievement seems to be a wonderful thing that God has given us. These things bring relief to days. Or as one theologian, John Calvin, once said, these things are given to us to sweeten the days of our existence. And they do, don't they? God gives us these things that are pleasurable, gives us these little tasks you can get at and you can do and that project done and some count for more than others but it's a thing it brings relief but it won't bring remedy to the human condition that seeks for meaning because this is just life under the sun the sun that great astronomical body it's the kind of greatest thing these readers would have known in their world it's this huge thing it brings light it brings the end of the day it kind of regulates and under the sun that is in the natural realm (sighs) you gather up this stuff and then it goes and it's meaningless but if we will move beyond life under the sun and explore as ecclesiastes will by its end life under the Creator, the meaningless becomes meaningful. Life becomes eternal life. And it's not just a shift in quantity, it's a shift in quality. We go to a different kind of life because God comes along and rather than just provide relief, which he does, he does give us pleasure and he does give us projects, he provides not only relief, he provides renovation And he provides remedy. Now use those two words importantly because I don't want you to think (coughs) that I've said to you, if you'll only stop chasing stuff like me and look to God, you'll be fixed, you'll be full and everything will make sense and you'll be completely remedied of days of feeling meaningless, meaningless. Some of you might, God bless you. Some of you won't. It's just the human condition. But what God will do is start to bring about renovation when we just chase relief, it's like almost being in a boat that's got a hole in it and you bail, 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 relieving the boat from its burden of water. But what that boat needs is some significant renovation, doesn't it? And there's Someone to patch the hole. The beauty of moving from life under the sun to life under the creator is God comes in and he does repair the hole. Now, does that mean you're filled overnight? No. But the leaking tends to stop. And meaning comes to life, rather than chasing after the wind which can't be grasped. You have this eternal purpose under God, you have this God who knows you, this God who sees you and this eternal destiny that means that your bucket starts to fill or the reverse, your boat seems to stop leaking. Will you fill overnight? No. But you will be renovated and remedy will come. Life is no longer purposeless or meaningless. Life becomes purposeful. Life becomes filled. Life becomes better. Under the good God, there's relief. There's renovation. And there's remedy. And the desperation of life in fast forward can move towards a patient satisfaction of enjoying the blessings of life, not under the sun, but in the presence of the one who gives my life meaning. Rather than that constant bailing out the boat, filling up the bucket. Now we start to make progress and life has meaning. And what is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Relief, renovation and remedy. All the good gifts of the wonderful God who we are invited to live under by his Son, the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his love for us. We thank you that in him we have more than life under the sun, S U N. Instead, we have life with your own precious Son. We have a life that is beyond the natural realm. We have a life that indeed enjoys the reliefs of the natural realm, those achievements, those pleasures but indeed we also have a life that is being renovated and restored and a life that will see the full remedy of having ultimate purpose, of of life eternal with you, of no longer leaking but being filled with the peace of God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.